Happy Monday, everyone. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and the new Delta 8 capsules. When you visit abotanicalcompany.com, use the discount code Colby Show, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, discount code Colby Show to save 15% off your online order. Awesome that we're able to save you guys some money this time of year. And certainly, if you're unfamiliar with Kratom, CBD, or Delta 8, do a little research and find out how it can benefit you. And, and look, if you want to give them a call, 405-458-9699, ask questions. They're more than happy to answer any questions you may have about their products and ultimately how they'll benefit your daily life. So again, check out the website, abotanicalcompany.com. Discount code Colby Show for 15% off your online order. Hope everybody had a great weekend. So much to talk about on this Monday the NFL, four terrific playoff matchups. Obviously, the games on Sunday brought a little more to the table than the Saturday matchups, but we'll talk about all four, as well as the UFC with a massive stage, ABC on Saturday afternoon. The UFC delivered in a big way, in a, in a big opportunity for new eyeballs. Uh, Max Holloway and you know Dana White have to be celebrating, loving every minute of what took place on Saturday afternoon, so we'll get into that as well. But look, I think if... You're going to start with a headline over the weekend. It has to be Kansas City-Cleveland. It was the most entertaining game. It was the closest matchup. It came down to the final snap of the football game. And look, this is also, I think, a situation where you're talking about the obvious, the Kansas City Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champions. Everybody expects Kansas City, if Patrick Mahomes is on the field, to repeat as Super Bowl champions against the lovable losers. Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns in year number one with Kevin Stefanski were outstanding. And I know a lot of people criticized Stefanski down the stretch of that game on Sunday, and rightfully so. There were some questionable issues with Cleveland on Sunday. But when you just take into account who the Cleveland Browns have been, what they've accomplished over the last 30 years, basically, and what they were able to do this year... In a crazy year anyway, where you have so many more challenges than just football, to see the development of Baker Mayfield down the stretch of the regular season, to see this team take the forward steps that it did, if you're a Browns fan, I think you have to be absolutely thrilled with the job Stefanski did this season, and you have to be absolutely thrilled with what the future looks like for that organization, and Baker Mayfield, who again, a month into the season, was being questioned about, is he the answer for Cleveland? Is he the long-term solution at quarterback for the Cleveland Browns? And and I think emphatically that answer is yes at this point. Baker Mayfield was terrific down the stretch of the regular season. Baker Mayfield in his two playoff performances was terrific. I, I know the numbers aren't jaw-dropping against Kansas City, but other than the Tyron Matthew interception, which was a bad throw on Baker's part, but other than that play, I thought Baker was really good on Sunday. And again, part of this is just not trying to force the issue, not committing those those devastating plays that potentially end the game for you or take you out of uh, the race. So I really like what I saw from Baker Mayfield down the stretch of the season. And again, in year number two with Kevin Stefanski, I, I really am looking forward to what sort of progress that Browns team makes. Obviously, there are defensive issues there, and they're going to have to address the defense this offseason. But, man, with Baker Mayfield, that offensive line, which was outstanding uh, all season long, your two running backs, getting Odell Beckham back into the mix, um, the Browns are going to be fun to watch offensively next year, and I expect them to take strides in the right direction even a year from now. So, um, you know, again, great season, I think, for the Cleveland Browns, not only to get into the postseason, but make the most of that opportunity, win a postseason game, and take the defending Super Bowl champions to the wire. Now, 
if you're out there saying they wouldn't be that close if Patrick Mahomes doesn't get hurt, yeah, I think that's probably true. Um, Patrick Mahomes is a generational talent. I, I think he has the opportunity to be among the all-time greats when he's done. So I, I don't think that uh, that takes anything away from from what Cleveland was able to accomplish. It's still a team sport. And, uh, you know, credit Cleveland for fighting back into that, that football game. Um, you know, some of the, the interesting, I think, storylines of that game, obviously the fumble into the end zone that completely turned the tide in that game. And, you know, you, you, you just wonder if that doesn't happen, what happens in the game and the outcome, and, and does it ultimately mean a Cleveland win? I, I don't know. I, I still have a hard time believing that Cleveland would have got it done either way, but there's no question that uh, that that made a, a big impact on the outcome of the game. And for as bad of a rule as that is, I'd be curious to know what people think should happen. How how do they adjust that rule? Because I think it's something that is going to be looked at this offseason. It's going to be something that they do address this offseason. But ultimately, what do you do? I mean, if you're going to take away the turnover, then I think you have to also consider how you would alter a fumble going out of the end zone on the other side of the field. Because, you know, you. I think if it goes out of the end zone, it has to be a plus-minus situation on your end zone versus the other team's end zone. So um, I, I saw the idea thrown out that maybe if you fumble at the one, you just get a touchback essentially and you have to go back to the 20. And let's just say it's first and goal from the seven. And a player is running to the corner. He gets to the one-yard line. He fumbles. It goes into the end zone and out of bounds. The idea I heard was you just lose that down, but you have to back up to the 20. So instead of instead of rewarding the defense for not recovering the fumble, you just you penalize the offense for fumbling, but you don't lose the possession. So in that case, it would be second and goal from the 20. Or let's say it's second and two from the two and that same situation happens, then you back them up to the 20, and it's it's third and goal from the 20. So that, to me, is a really interesting potential rule change should they go that route. Um, again, I, I think if you're going to change, if you're just going to completely take away uh, the, the fumble into the end zone situation and just give them the ball back on the one, then I think you also have to change it on the other end. So We'll see how the NFL ultimately handles this. But, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. If you don't like that rule, I, I think it makes total sense that uh, it, it's, it's something that the NFL should look at and evaluate and decide whether that's something that's still good for the game or not. I mean, in everything we do, in all aspects of life, I think we're always evolving and, and you know, crossing bridges where we have to evaluate things and say, you know what, this this maybe at one time was a good idea, but it no longer works. So yeah, I, that's that's one part of it. And, and look, I would even say this, I, that it was obviously a mistargeting call. So that's the other part that I think upset a lot of Cleveland Brown fans was the fact that uh, they missed a targeting call and Kansas City benefited from the fumble. So I, I'm I'm one of those people that I hate all of the pauses in the game. I hate all the reviews. I, I think it's gotten so out of hand with how many times the game has stopped to review something that I, I'm in favor of less stoppages. But on the other side of that, if the NFL is going to sell us this whole uh, player safety scenario, then you know it, it would make sense, I guess, that you're going to review targeting situations. So, you know, for, for as many things as they can review, for them to not be able to review a targeting situation to me is a little bit interesting. But again, 
I don't want there to be more stoppages. I, I'm in favor of less stoppages. And and again, we see this with the college game, and we've seen it especially in the college postseason over the last few years. I hate the whole ejection part of targeting. You know, I think on probably every play in football, if you slow something down enough, you could find somebody leading with their helmet or leading with their cr- with the crown of their helmet. I mean, it's just it's it's inevitable. It, it happens on almost every play. So I think if you wanted to get picky and start reviewing that every play, you could probably find it. So that's that's the one aspect where I'm not super crazy about it. Obviously, when it happens to the guy carrying the ball, it's much more noticeable. And, you know, the fans obviously have a right to be upset about a missed call there. So, um, you know, ultimately, Kansas City is just such a, a beast. And how about Chad Henney? The third down play, I you know, it, it's funny because... Chad Henney comes into the game, he completes a pass, and I, I think we all were like, oh, wow, Chad Henney, like, is is he is he going to just start airing it out in this Kansas City offense? And then the very next play, or maybe two plays later, he literally goes Uncle Rico trying to throw a ball over a mountain and misses his receiver on a deep route where Carl Joseph is the only guy in the area, and he catches the interception, and, and Cleveland obviously gets the ball. So I, I think after you saw that throw, it was like, there's no way Kansas City's going to allow Chad Henney to throw the ball again. And uh, they they obviously gave him the screen pass on that last drive, which I, if you're Cleveland, I have no idea how you don't cover the screen pass. I mean, Kansas City, on top of being known for, you know, Patrick Mahomes' ability to chunk the ball down the field, is obviously known for for being amazing in the screen game. I mean, that's that's one of the things that I think going into every Kansas City game is on um, my my list of things to watch for. They're just, they're so good at the screen game and preventing defenses from getting too aggressive because of the screen game. So uh, the fact that Cleveland gave up a screen pass knowing that Chad Henney had an issue throwing the ball down the field to me is, is wild. But give Chad Henney a lot of credit for the third down run. Um, I actually said right before that play, I said, if Kansas City was smart here, they would just do QB draw because nobody expects Chad Henney to run the football. And it wasn't a QB draw, but ultimately he called his own number when there was nothing there and nearly picked up the first down. And then the fourth down play call is as ballsy a move as I've ever seen in the history of the NFL with your season on the line and certainly with that Browns offense just waiting to get their turn. To, to call that play and to put your season in the hands of Chad Henney was, I mean, Andy Reid is the ultimate big cojones coach. And uh, I just, I, I was stunned. And look, I, what a great play call, right? To go to the line and basically give the approach that you're just going to try to draw them off sides and then at the last minute snap the ball and, and much less put the ball in the air. Um, like my heart Actually, I thought my heart was going to stop. When they snapped it, I was like, they made a mistake. I thought the center, like my my initial thought when the center snapped the ball was like, oh my gosh, he screwed up. Like he wasn't supposed to snap it and he did. And now this is a live play. So that was that was just a wild sequence uh, with Kansas City's final possession to close that game out. And look, if you're, if you're Cleveland, there's no way, first of all, that you punt the ball in fourth down if Patrick Mahomes is healthy and on the other side of the field. So... I, you know, I, I know there's criticism of the punt anyway and giving the ball back to Kansas City. Because it was Chad Henney, I don't necessarily hate it. I mean, again, literally a play before Chad Henney had thrown one of the worst interceptions I think that we've seen this entire postseason. So, 
I don't necessarily hate it, although if you're making the argument the Cleveland defense is terrible and you would never want them to be in position to win a game, I get that too. So it's a tough situation to be in. And again, I think if Mahomes is out there, it's a really easy decision to go for it on fourth. Because it was Chad Henney, I, I can absolutely see the argument for punting the ball away and you know potentially getting another turnover, thinking you're going to get an easy three and out and get the ball back. So you know, take that for what it's worth. But what a great football game. And now, obviously, all eyes are on Patrick Mahomes and his health and the AFC Championship against the Buffalo Bills next week. With the Saints-Bucks matchup, this was also a really interesting game. Obviously, it had a lot of buildup with the Breeze-Brady narratives. The pregame news about Drew Breeze, uh, you know, maybe added a little fuel to that fire. I kind of wonder if we didn't have any sort of pregame information on Drew Breeze, if Sean Payton maybe handles the end of the game a little bit differently. We'll never know, obviously, and I'm sure that no matter what questions Sean Payton is asked, he's going to defend his guy, he's going to defend his quarterback, and the guy that has, you know, they won a Super Bowl together. But I, I don't think anybody out there can reasonably say that they thought Drew Brees gave the Saints the best opportunity to win with five minutes left in the game being down by two possessions. Drew Brees struggled throwing the football from start to finish in that game. He wasn't. He's not the same guy, clearly. He hasn't been the same guy all season, but especially in that game, he didn't look good throwing the football. There was just not a lot of juice when he threw the football and pulled the trigger. Obviously, a couple interceptions, and he hadn't attempted a pass over 20 yards in the entire game. So with five minutes left, the fact that you're down by two possessions, I, I, thought, I thought it was a no-brainer that you have to go with a guy that can at least push the ball down the field and give you a chance to score twice. To, I mean, even if even if they scored once, would they have had enough time to get the ball back and score again the way that that offense was dinking and dunking with Drew Brees at the helm? It, I just don't think it was going to happen. I, I think clearly Jameis Winston would have given you a better chance to win with five minutes left being down by two possessions. I'm not trying to pretend that Jameis Winston is a great quarterback in the NFL, but certainly he has a big arm. He's known for being able to stretch the field and throw the ball vertically. We saw the big touchdown pass early in the game on the trick play from Jameis Winston. Again, I, I, it, this is more of a Drew Brees thing, I think, for me than a Jameis Winston thing. I, I just don't believe that Drew Brees, with as much as he had struggled to that point in the game, and, and obviously knowing that he was really struggling from an arm strength standpoint to get the ball down the field, gave you the best chance to win. And, and, you know, I tweeted something along the lines of, I can't believe that the Saints are going to basically sacrifice a playoff game to allow Drew Brees to finish this thing out. And, you know, first of all, I do want to say for Drew Brees, he's one of the, you know, probably top 10 quarterbacks in NFL history. He's an all-time great. He's had a great career. And I think for the most part, he's considered to be a pretty good dude. Um, so, you know, I, I think everybody likes him and wants to see him go out the right way. That said, if you're if you're on that football team, I mean, you have to consider the position the Saints have been in over the last like five years. The Saints have been as good, I think, as any team in the NFC over the last few seasons, and and it's it's a lot more than just Drew Brees. They've had weapons offensively. I think they've had some some really good defensive players, difference makers uh, on the other side of the ball. And you know, th they were my preseason pick to go to the Super Bowl from the NFC this year. And the reason wasn't because of Drew Brees. I think that's a really good roster. But, you know, a few years ago, it was the Minnesota Miracle that, that ends their season. And that was a, a team that I thought had a chance 
to to play in the Super Bowl. Um, you know the the obvious missed call on the pass interference a couple years ago with the Rams. A, another missed opportunity where you felt like the Saints potentially could have been the best team in the NFC. So when you consider all these missed opportunities for the Saints, the fact that you are Again, we'll just go back to the the final five minutes of the game. Five minutes away from playing the Green Bay Packers for the right to play in a Super Bowl, and they stuck with Drew Brees to me. I I just thought it was basically saying that one guy's legacy was more important than season success. And if I were on that team, I I would be really upset about that situation. I I, I just I don't know how you just say, you know what, we're going to sacrifice this win because we want this guy to go out on top and we want this guy's legacy to be intact and we don't want you know the the storyline to be Drew Brees is benched in the final game at the Superdome but again I just I, I don't know how anybody could sell the idea that Drew Brees gave you the best chance to win in that scenario so I, I will say this I, I absolutely love the video after the game of the Tom Brady Drew Brees embrace and you know playing football on the field and Tom Brady throwing the the football in the end zone to Drew Brees' kids. And, you know, all of that was awesome. And, and again, I'm, I'm a, I like Drew Brees. He's been fun to watch. He's been an incredible professional. And, you know, he's, he's going to go down as one of the all-timers. But, again, I just don't think any one individual is bigger than the team. And certainly not in a situation where that one individual isn't the best player on the team anymore. So um, I, I just kind of felt like maybe the Saints prioritized legacy over over victory in that situation. And, you know, it worked out the way that it did. And now we're just kind of waiting for, I think, the whole Drew Brees thing to become official. But there you go. That's, that's basically my thoughts. It was, I just, I felt like that game was more on the Saints mistakes than it was on Tampa Bay just being the better team. So congrats to Tom Brady going to another AFC championship game. Uh, I can't wait, by the way, to watch the Rodgers-Brady matchup next Sunday. I mean, that's that's also as good as it gets. But um, yeah, I think I, I'm more on the Saints making mistakes side of that matchup than maybe like being wowed by what Tampa was able to accomplish. All that said, I do want to throw out this because I think Devin White to me is the best interior linebacker inside linebacker middle linebacker uh, you know everybody plays different schemes these days but I think he's the best interior linebacker in the NFL and you know I know guys like Bobby Wagner Deion Jones are outstanding talents but when you consider what Devin White gives you not only in just playing the position on a snap-to-snap basis, but how special he is when he rushes the passer, uh, the big plays that he makes in the passing game when he has to drop back. I just He's so complete, and he's just all over the football field. He's just one of those guys that anytime he's on the football field, it's hard for me to, to not keep my eyes on what he's doing. So, um, you know, I think Devin White is now in that category of of guys that you consider to be the best defensive players in the NFL and are going to be carrying that torch for probably the next decade. So um, that's another thing as far as that matchup and just, you know, how special I think Devin White is for the Bucs. Uh, the Saturday matchups, you know, obviously in the NFC, Packers-Rams was... Uh, it was interesting because from a competitive standpoint, I never really felt like the Rams were going to win the game, but they did just enough to kind of keep it within within reach. Um, I found it really difficult to try and watch the, you know, the whole Aaron Donald chasing Aaron Rodgers while also 
trying to kind of watch the uh, Devontae Adams and Jalen Ramsey matchup off the snap. Um, you know, that there was just a lot going on there, and uh, I felt like my eyes were in all these different directions, and I'm trying to watch it all at the same time. Uh, but, you know, again, I, I thought the Packers were going to win. They did. Uh, there was never really a point, like I said, where I really felt like the Rams were going were gonna to get that one. So, again, Rodgers-Brady next week is going to be fantastic. And then the AFC game, you know, it may, not, it may have been the least interesting game of the weekend. I, it was number one on my list going into the weekend. Buffalo, Baltimore. Um, this was, again, if I could only watch one game over the weekend, that's the one I would have chosen. It wasn't necessarily, from an entertainment standpoint, super engaging. But, you know, again, you have this quarterback matchup with Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and two guys that are bona fide stars in the NFL, two guys that, you know, going into the NFL had a lot of question marks about their passing ability. And, you know, I kind of wonder when you look at Lamar Jackson and the narrative going into last week's playoff game, and then after they win, everybody just kind of like went quiet about Lamar Jackson because he got a playoff win. Well, I think all those concerns that people had are still there. And and obviously the interception that he threw in this game was the difference. But, um, I mean, do, they, do, do we start that narrative on Lamar Jackson and his passing ability and translating to postseason wins? Because if you felt like that was the case going into the Tennessee game, just because Baltimore won, I don't think that erases that question. I don't think it has to be a super negative thing to say that Lamar Jackson's not on that level. It's just, it, it, he's not. At the same time, those guys aren't on Lamar Jackson's level as far as running the football. So, you know, it's it's a give and take. Lamar Jackson is is good at what he's good at, and there's nobody else in the NFL that's like him. And at the same time, he's not as good as the elite throwers in the league. So, you know, there's a, there's a balance there where one sometimes makes up for the other, but... I just I wonder if we go back to that Lamar Jackson narrative going into next season's playoffs, considering the way he played in this matchup. But yeah, look, the NFL over the weekend was fantastic. I'm especially when you consider what we have with the championship matchups next Sunday: Rodgers, Brady, Mahomes, Allen. If Mahomes is able to go, uh, I don't think you could ask for more as an NFL fan. If uh, if your team obviously isn't in it, so there you go. Last thing on the NFL before we jump into the UFC, the Houston Texans and the Deshaun Watson relationship seems to be extremely fractured. I don't know how you screw this up so badly if you're the Texans. You were so close to a Super Bowl. And to see Bill O'Brien tear that thing down to the point that it's at now and for them to also screw up a relationship with your 25-year-old franchise quarterback to me is just unforgivable if I were a, a Texans fan. I don't know how you get over this if you're a Texans fan. But the Lamar the, the Deshaun Watson thing to me is mind-blowing because you're talking about a guy that is is becoming an NFL superstar if he's not already considered an NFL superstar. Um, if you gave me today the option of quarterbacks that I want for the next 10 years, it's Mahomes 1 and Sean Watson 2. I think today, Deshaun Watson, there are certainly some guys right behind Deshaun Watson that have a ton of upside. But I think when you consider how young Deshaun Watson is, how long you expect him to play at a high level, and how polished he is today, it's a no-brainer for me. Deshaun Watson's number two on my list after Patrick Mahomes. So to have that guy under contract long-term at the age of 25 and to screw it up to the point that he wants out, I think is unforgivable. 
And we'll see what happens with Deshaun Watson. But, you know, there are, I think Adam Schefter reported this morning that several people inside the Texans organization believe Deshaun Watson's played his last down in Houston. And that would be, again, just a, a complete catastrophe for an organization that was as close to getting to the mountaintop as they've been over the last few seasons. So that's something to monitor. I think both the Jets and the Dolphins could put together intriguing situations to, for, for Houston to uh, really consider if they're going to move to Sean Watson. I hope for Watson's sake, it's not the Jets. Um, I, I'm just, I'm a fan of Deshaun Watson. I'm a fan of watching him play and I wouldn't wish him going to the Jets on, on anyone. Same, you know, kind of like the Baker Mayfield thing going into Cleveland and just, Obviously, Baker was the right guy for the Browns, but I mean, you would, you, I think most Baker fans would have preferred him to land somewhere that, that gave him a little bit better opportunity to have success. Uh, same thing with Sean Watson here for me and the, and the Jets. But look, if, if it were Miami, Miami has the number two pick, the number 18 pick, and Tua, or the number three pick, 18 and Tua. If you add maybe another couple picks to that situation, I think that would be really intriguing for Houston. So, I'll be really interested to see what happens with the whole Deshaun Watson, Houston Texans relationship this off season. And um, look, you know, as far as, as the off season, today's also the final day for underclassmen to declare for the NFL draft. So um, we'll probably recap some of that this week as well. As, as you guys know, I'm a big NFL draft geek. So uh, also something to pay attention to today, who declares, who decides to come back. And, and we'll, we'll talk some more college football tomorrow on the show. All right, so UFC massive platform on Saturday, ABC broadcast in their first fight of 2021, their first card of 2021, back to Fight Island, back to Abu Dhabi, and they hit a home run. Like, in terms of the card, the main event was a blockbuster, and, you know, for for the people that may be fringe UFC fans, I think those people all understood how massive that main event was with Calvin Cater and Max Holloway. I don't know how many people were super excited about the card overall. Um, you know, especially if you're not a big UFC fan. I, I don't know how many of those names have any any sort of mainstream following. But if you were somebody that just wanted to tune in and give it a chance and just watch the product, those first three fights, to see all three underdogs win in the first round and finish their opponents, first of all, that was a home run for the UFC on its own. There, I know a lot of people that don't like the UFC because they they don't like how you know sometimes it becomes a wrestling match and you know the the lack of action. I guess there are a lot of people that tell me they don't like it because guys end up on the ground and they end up you know quote unquote hugging each other for uh, for five minutes at a time. So if if that if that's you if if you're somebody that doesn't like that style, um, you would have loved what you saw. In, uh, in those first three fights. Three finishes in the first round, all by the underdogs. It was it was thrilling action, without a doubt. And then you had, you know, you had two, uh, you know, kind of legends of the sport with Carlos Condit and Matt Brown squaring off against each other in the co-main event. That one goes the distance. No finish in that one, but, you know, you got a, a, a good 15 minutes out of both of those guys. And then Max Holloway in the main event on Saturday was as impressive as I've ever seen him. And and look, for, for those of you that aren't super familiar with Max Holloway, former champion, one of the all-time greats. I mean, if he were done right now, he's a Hall of Famer. There's no question he's a Hall of Famer. Some, even though he's not the champion, 
consider him to be the, the best featherweight champion of all time. So, like, there are the, the accolades, the resume for Max Holloway is already exceptional. Going into that fight, I was really torn because for me, Max Holloway just, he's so active. He puts so much pressure on you and his pace is, is absurd. And you have that against the power of Calvin Cater. And I really went back and forth on who I liked in this this fight because Max Max throws so much that he he does allow himself to get hit at times. And I just I, I really thought that Cater would have a chance to to rattle him with one or two big shots, and that might neutralize uh, overall the the just complete assault that Max Holloway puts on you. And it didn't. Um, first of all. Calvin Cater took a beating on Saturday. So I give him a ton of credit for how tough he was because Max Holloway probably finishes 99% of opponents with that sort of, of output. Um, but look, Cater hit him with some big shots and it didn't slow Max down at all. Max Holloway was as good as he's ever been. Max Holloway had a perform an all-time great performance on Saturday against a guy that is as scary and as heavy-handed as there is in that entire division. Max Holloway is a superstar in the sport, and that was, again, for a guy that is a guaranteed Hall of Famer, I think that was the best performance of his entire career. So the other bit of UFC news that I want to talk about is the Habib Nurmagomedov situation. Obviously, after the Gaethje win, he retires, says he's done, and the UFC kind of came out and or Dana White came out and said, you know, let's give him some time. I don't want him to make an emotional decision. Uh, so they had a meeting in Abu Dhabi when Dana White got to Fight Island. And he, t- he had the interview during the card on Saturday and basically said that the conversation was Habib is not interested right now in fighting anybody, but he's going to pay attention to the McGregor-Poirier fight. And if something, if he sees something special, then he could be urged to come back. I think going into this McGregor-Poirier fight, there was a lot of chatter about this being potentially for a belt if, if Habib was, in fact, retired. Or maybe it's a number one contender match where the winner gets their, their shot at Habib for a title. Part of the problem, I think, with making this a, a title shot match is the fact that we just saw Poirier fight Habib, what, last year? And it was such a dominant performance. I don't know that there's any appetite for a Habib Poirier rematch. And look, I say this as a massive Poirier fan. Poirier, I think, is as entertaining as any fighter in the UFC. I love watching Poirier fight. Uh, he's like I said, I'm I'm a fan of Dustin Poirier. It's just a bad matchup. And when you consider how dominant Habib was against Dustin a couple years ago, it's just, I, I just don't know how they're able to sell that fight and maximize Habib coming back after retirement. So that's why I think it's just not a blanket. The winner of this main event on Saturday is going to get a title shot against Habib. That said, when you state it the way that Dana stated it, if he sees something special, well, you know, a McGregor win, I think would be considered something special. Um, McGregor did some interviews leading up to this fight where he was asked about Habib and in typical Connor fashion, you know, he, he talks about Habib scurrying away from the sport and kind of, I think laid the groundwork for there to be trash talk as far as a Connor Habib rematch. Secondly, Habib 
did some interviews in the last week, and he was asked about a rematch against Connor or Poirier. Both guys, he's he's he has wins over, and he said from a competitive standpoint, neither one of those guys does anything for him as far as enticing him to come back. But he did say a big paycheck was enticing for him to come back. So is there a bigger paycheck in all of combat sports right now as far as MMA than Conor McGregor? So, you know, even though I don't think either one of these fighters really gets the competitive juices for Habib going, the money aspect of a Habib-Conor McGregor fight to me is, is where this thing is headed. So... I would be stunned if McGregor wins this fight. If there is not a Habib McGregor rematch, I would be completely shocked. I think that's the way they've set it up to be. If McGregor wins, we get the biggest event in UFC history with a Habib McGregor rematch. Habib gets to go for number 30, 30 and 0. McGregor gets his rematch against Habib. It's it will be the biggest card in UFC history if that happens. Again, if Poirier wins against McGregor, they have that that you know opt out situation where Habib can just say he didn't see anything special and and he doesn't want to go that route. And if if that's the case, then I think he probably vacates the title, and you know Dustin potentially fights uh, you know maybe a Gaethje Charles Oliveira situation. I don't I don't know what they're going to do. One fifty five to me is the best division in the sport. There are massive superstars in that division. And I think as far as the the route you could go in the 155 division, you could go a lot of different ways, and it all makes sense, right? There are just so many quality fighters there that I I don't know that anybody's going to be super upset about any direction they go. And also considering that you have Dan Hooker and Michael Chandler as the co-main on that card as well. So I'm I'm really excited about the pay-per-view this weekend. Obviously excited about Dustin Connor. Like I said, Dustin to me is as entertaining as anybody in the UFC. Obviously, Conor McGregor's in that same category. I mean, if you talk about just the most entertaining fighters in the sport, I think these are two of the top five. And, you know, they're going to rematch, you know, the first fight. These guys are completely different fighters, different people for that matter than they were the first time around. Uh, But, you know, both of these guys are prepared for a war. Both of these guys like to uh, just, you know, go all out and... uh, Again, I'm, I'm just excited about this one. I think it's going to be a hell of a fight. And if McGregor wins, I think it's Habib McGregor, number two, sometime probably this summer. So we'll see. Anyway, that is, uh, that's all I've got for the UFC this weekend. That is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and the new Delta 8 capsules. Visit the website, abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code ColbyShow, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, for 15% off your online order. Again, abotanicalcompany.com. Everybody have a great day, stay safe, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Podcast is over.